Well, recently, uh, Carrie, my wife, and I had the opportunity to fly to Florida for a little getaway. And as these things go, sometimes when you exit a plane, you may know uh, that one of the pilots sometimes stands at the cockpit door on your way out to say hello and also thank you for flying with them. And so that's exactly what happened as we were exiting the plane in Florida. And as I got closer to the front and was able to see the pilot, um, something caught my attention immediately. This was the youngest looking pilot <laughs> I had ever seen in my life. In fact, I was thinking about it. If I would have seen him in any other place than in the cockpit doorway of a plane, I would have thought he was a high school student dressed up as a pilot and going to some costume party. He was so young looking. And then my brain began to wander. And I began to think, I'm really glad that I didn't see him before we took off because I would have been thinking the entire time every little bit of turbulence as to whether this kid was going to be able to take care of me and my wife. And no offense to young people, I was young once as well. Sometimes young people can do things better than middle-aged or older people. But at the same time, I was wondering. I was, I was wondering. You see, here's the reality. Anytime you get in a plane... You are putting your life and your well-being into the hands of a pilot, however old it may be. And you can pick your flight time. Never once have they asked if I could pick my pilot. And so you're just kind of, it, it is what it is. Now, related to this, I've got a little bit of a weird question for you. Are planes good or are planes bad? Like I said, a weird question. How can planes be either? Well, if you had to answer this question, I think most of us would answer, planes are good. I mean, three hours and you're in Florida. That is not a bad deal. But at the same time, planes, if not controlled correctly, planes, if they don't work correctly, can be deadly, right? And so when it comes to, to a plane, I don't know whether they can themselves be good or bad, but the reality is that they can be dangerous if, they're, if they don't work right or they're not operated correctly. Or, or I'll say it this way. A plane is a blessing when it's understood correctly and it's used in the right way. You know, that, that, that's true of a lot of things. A lot of things can be a blessing, but they also can be bad or they can be dangerous. More to the point of our series today. Here's another weird question. Is money good or bad? You know, I think most of us would right away answer this question this way. Like, money's a good thing. And I don't disagree. And even if you wouldn't have answered that way, here's what I do know. And the strength of this voice that I'm going to talk about, it is stronger or weaker depending sometimes on your personality or your age. But we all have this inner voice that's telling us that money's good, that's telling us that we need more of it because more money means 
more stuff and more vacations and a bigger house and a better car and more home improvements. We want more. We want to have more. We want to earn more. And there's this, this lie, this subtle lie that um, we come to believe. And let me just say this. A lot of times we can tend to be hard on 21st century America. And we have an issue with this, what I'm going to say in just a moment. But it, it's, been, it's been an issue for a really long time because Jesus taught on this, okay? But here's a subtle lie that we and generations before us have sometimes believed that more money means more happiness, And what happens is, very quickly, the sum total of our relationship with money, if we don't think about it, or if we don't have a church teach about it, if we don't read about it, the sum total of our goal is, with money, get more. How do I get more? Now, I want to point out that this is a lie, and I point it out from three different places. First, anecdotally. Here's what I know. You know people who have more than you do and are miserable. You also know people who you perceive, because we don't know for sure, have less than you and are way happier than you, and you wish you could be a part of that family on some days. Here's another proof. This is what I'll call um, uh, statistically. In 2018, Purdue University did a study on the relationship of money and happiness. And it gathered about 10 years' worth of data from Gallup polls. And one of its conclusions was this, that the ideal income point for emotional well-being or happy is $60,000 to $75,000 a year. That's what they found statistically is the ideal. When people earn more than $105,000, they have found statistically that happiness levels begin to decrease. And this doesn't have to be the case for everybody. But it is interesting that more money does not equal more happiness statistically because with more comes more stress and more problems, and more management, and all of those things. Um, Stockholm University did a survey of lottery winners. So 3,000 lottery winners, 20 years after they won um, the lottery. And one of their conclusions was kind of, meh. Here's here's their conclusion from the the surveys. They said, there is no strong evidence that lottery winners are happier in the long run. When when I hear studies like this, there's a part of my heart that believes it. I mean, it is a study after all. And then there's a part of my heart that's like, yeah, but um, I'd like to try. I I think I could be the the outlier to these surveys. So let, let me just try it. I like to try to be happy with more. Well, for those of you who are Christians, for those of you who believe, like I do, that the Bible is God's truth, there's another place we can turn 
uh, for proof that more money equals more happiness. Uh, it's to the uh, apostle or Pastor Paul from the first century. And here's what he wrote to his friend Timothy. He said that, that those who want to get rich, and let's be really clear here, what we're talking about is not people who are rich because, well, ultimately what we're going to find in this series is that everything we have is a blessing from God. So having much can't be a sin because God's the one who ultimately gives it to us, right? But it, it's those who want to get rich. This is the, the type of person where maybe their entire focus, their entire concentration in life is just to accumulate more. And oh, by the way, that's all of us sometimes, probably, I don't know your heart specifically, but we can fall into that trap. Those who want to get rich, they, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. <laughs> so, <laughs> back to the question. Is money good or bad? Well, I think it's bad. No. It's not. God's given it. He doesn't give you something that's bad. But much like the pilot on a plane, money, finances, become the blessing that they were intended when we better understand how to manage it and to use it. So here's our first fill-in for the series. Um, money is a blessing when understood correctly and used in the right way. And so over the, the next three weeks, um, we're going to discover um, what God has to say about what we have, specifically our financial uh, blessings, uh, our, our material blessings, our, our money. And I, I want to call out again that at times when church and money are, are put together, um, people can feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I understand that. I bet some of us in the room have had a bad experience with church asking for money in a way that maybe felt uh, weird or wrong. But I want you to know, we're not starting any capital campaign today. The reason why we're talking about the financial blessings that God has given to us is this reason. Because God has much to say about it. And if God has a lot to say about it, well, then it must be something, it needs to be something that we talk about as a church family. And he has a lot to say about it. Uh, over 2,300 verses in the Bible have to do with money or financial blessing. Uh, take a look at Jesus' ministry and what's recorded for us about his ministry. About two-thirds of his parables were about how to manage money or the things that he has given to us. And I want you to know, for Jesus, he talked a lot about this, but he wasn't starting a capital campaign either to get his ministry started. It wasn't like, oh, I need some money to buy uh, Peter a new boat. Let's uh, talk about money. I'll say it this way. Jesus taught about money not because he wants something from you, 
but because he wants something for you. He, he wants us to understand a good and right and proper relationship with that which he has given to us so that it can be the blessing that God intended it to be. So, we're going to start today in a sermon that Jesus spoke or gave. It's his most well-known sermon. You've probably heard the name of it. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know that he named it that. It was named later. But uh, it was named that because he shared the message on the side of a hill or a mount near the Sea of Galilee. And the primary focus, it's found at the beginning of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Um, the primary focus was not in the sermon, what Jesus has done for you, although it's in there a little, the primary focus was how do we live our Christian lives? And one of the things that Jesus felt was important for him to take a moment to talk about was, you can guess it, our relationship with what we have, our money. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin, and I had to look that up. Sometimes I look up Greek words, sometimes I look up English words. Vermin, uh, some of you know, but it's like rodents or other animals that will destroy crops. That's vermin. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, one thing I want to be really clear about is what Jesus is saying here in context he is not speaking with do not store up. He is not speaking against planning or saving. Jesus in this verse is not saying you should not have a 403B, you should not have a 401K, live paycheck to paycheck because you should not store things up. In fact, next week we're going to see the exact opposite of what good stewardship looks like when it comes to thinking about the future. His emphasis here, though, is not around you should never save. His emphasis is around what you put your emphasis on. He's speaking against making our entire lives about this collection of stuff that's all for me and for the people around me. He's speaking against the mentality that, this, again, sum total of my relationship with money is to get more and to collect more. And one of the things he points out here, and he's going to point out more as we continue in the verses, but one of the reasons why he says that's just dumb to make your whole life about collecting treasures of this earth is he says, the things you collect are not going to last forever. You have them for a very short amount of time. Why spend your entire life collecting things that will not last A few years ago, um, we were finally in need of uh, buying a, a different family vehicle. Uh, we had, uh, on our Chevy Trailblazer, had gone over, I think, 210,000 miles or something. And we, yeah, who is right? It was, uh, was kind of hanging on, right? And uh, we were going to trade it in, get a little bit of money, and then be able to buy something new. And it was, it was the weirdest thing. As I was leaving the dealership, I took a picture of the vehicle and I was emotional. Like, I was emotional, like, leaving this vehicle there for, it didn't last long. I didn't cry myself to sleep that night. But 
I was just a little bit emotional as I thought about all the, the blessings of this vehicle. I thought about the birth of our son, Elias, because that's when we had to get a bigger vehicle, and that's when we bought it. I, I thought about all the, the family trips to see grandparents at Christmas in the summer and the, the miles that we went in that vehicle. I remember the French fries in the middle of the seats and having to pick those out and how dirty it got. And then I quickly snapped out as I remembered... Um, the big rust spot on the other side of the vehicle (laughs) and how the transmission was going and the antifreeze was leaking and the air conditioning wasn't working, which was kind of related to some other things going on. And this thing that we loved and cherished and had so many good memories in and was a blessing, it wasn't intended to last forever. That's the way it is with every earthly possession on this earth. Either trade it in, it breaks, it wears out. I, have, I was looking for it at the house today. I couldn't find it. I have this T-shirt that I bought at the University of Florida when we were there with family. And I just love that shirt. I wore it all the time. I got it like 15 years ago, and I still wear it. It has a big rip in the back. I just love that shirt. But it's worn out, and I've been convinced now that I do need to throw it away. But that's the way it is with every earthly possession Second fill-in, that the things of this earth don't last. And as you try to think about your relationship with money and material things, Jesus, at least in this section, starts right there. He, why spend our lives just storing up things that don't last forever, that wear out, that break, that you need to trade in, that rust out? And instead, verse 20, store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what, there's certain things we can collect on earth to take to heaven? Does God allow us to bring my favorite grill and smoker up to to heaven? Are there my baseball card collection? What's he talking about? Of course not. There's a lot that could be said on this verse. But I think in summary... It'll help us. In summary, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you live your lives, not just financially, but in everything, think more about eternity and the life that lasts forever. As you consider the things that you have, even if it's not as much as you'd like, think about it in terms of heaven and eternity, and things that last forever. Think about your entire life through the lens that life is but a mist, and eternity is super, super long. And, by the way, as a Christian, super, super great. And how does God's gift of heaven, Jesus is saying, how does that affect how you view the material things that you have? How does it affect the things that we pursue? How does it affect the way we use our money? How does it affect our generosity, knowing that we're here? We don't even know how long it could be. Our Lord called our sister Rena home like in a moment, right? We don't know how long it's going to be, but we can 
we can think of it in terms, what we have in terms of what we do know, that eternity lasts forever. And you know what? You are closer to heaven now than you were when you walked in this morning. Every moment, closer to the greatest gift that we could be given, a life forever with Jesus. And Jesus continues, see, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The theme of this message is your heart matters. Because when it comes to finances, and and really, when it comes to anything in life, but when it comes to finances, the heart and what we think and what we believe about what is most important is at the heart of the matter. And God is asking us, as we consider the things that we've been given, Jesus is asking us to consider um, who is first place in your life? What has your heart? What is it that you get up for in the morning? I mean, this is a daily battle and tension that we need to think about every single day. Because sometimes we're doing good in that realm and we're getting up for the Lord. (laughs) And then other times we get consumed. And if we were to be honest where our heart is, it's far from heaven and more on the things of this earth. You see, once again, as we see what Jesus says about our heart and not about give me your money, we understand that at the very root of it, God doesn't want your stuff. And by the way, we got to get out of the idea of thinking that it's mine anyways or yours. He doesn't want our stuff. He just doesn't want your stuff to have you. And then our last verse in this section has a very similar tone or direction to it. Jesus says, so understand, no one can serve two masters. If you try, either you'll hate the one and love the other or like one more than the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve as first place in your life both God and God. And money. We need to think of ourselves as servants because that's what God has called us to be. And we all are living according to the direction of some master. (laughs) Sometimes it ends up being just my own personal wants and desires. Sometimes it's uh, we live to the master and direction of culture. With this verse, Jesus is wanting us to consider these questions, things like, who directs you? What controls you? Who or what do you live for? These are much deeper questions, aren't they, than just how much are you going to give back to the Lord? It starts the heart of the matter of who is our master and who do we serve and how do we view our money in comparison to the one who gave it to us. Uh, Our next fill-in goes this way. So your heart is the heart 
of the matter. So, as we consider this question, I think there's one very practical way that we can sort of uh, get to the bottom of some things and to very practically kind of think about, you know, where am I mentally and emotionally specifically? Um, With this question, you know, who or what has your heart? Do you want a very interesting way to better understand what's important to you can be? Take a look at your bank statement for the last month or the last six months. It tells us a lot about ourselves. Where we like to shop and how much we like to shop. It tells us how important uh, vacation is to you or how important exercise is to you or how important entertainment is to you or how important $7 coffees are to you or to me. When, when we look at our bank accounts, I, if, if you don't do that regularly, that's kind of my, my, my challenge for you this week is to take a look at it and through the lens of what does my purchasing over the last month or two months or six months, what does it say about my heart or what's important to me? And it doesn't necessarily mean even that you'll see any sin there necessarily, but it will help you better understand what's important to you, because sometimes we say one thing, but in reality, the reality is something different. Here's maybe a different way to say this this challenge I have for you this week. What do my personal finances say about my heart? In what ways am I being a good steward of what God has given And in what ways, and it doesn't mean that we can never have any fun or anything like that. We're going to talk more about that next week. But in what ways might I feel like I'm kind of wasting some resources? How how generous have I been? And is that in line with where my heart's at when it comes to what generosity looks like, either as an individual or if you're married, as a family or as a couple? There's a lot of blessing and help and just sort of, uh, I guess, eye-opening opportunity when we take time to look at how we've been spending our money. And and that's, that's that's my challenge for you this week. But before we close the message, I just want you to know that no discussion, no message about material blessings, no message about anything in life can be complete and whole without a discussion and recognition about Jesus. In fact, uh, if you're brand new to the Bible and here for this series, uh, you might first, most likely, need to first understand Jesus' generosity and Jesus' love and Jesus' sacrifice before even digging headlong into this series about finances because the way we view what we have is an entire response to what he has done for us. Do you know, I was thinking this week about Jesus' generosity And how sometimes I wish he was just a little bit more financially generous uh, to me or to us, right? Maybe you felt that way as well. And, And I thought about the things that Jesus could do. 
In fact, uh, it'd be very easy for Jesus just to give us all more material things. In fact, I thought about sometimes how he did that. He provided dinner for 5,000 plus people just through his miraculous power and a few bread and, and fish. There, there was time that Jesus needed to pay a temple tax. And in what can only be called a miracle, <laughs> he took a fish, opened up its mouth, and took a coin out to pay for the temple tax. This is the Lord that we have. If he wanted you to have a pile of money in your garage, he could snap his finger and make it happen. But you see, when he came to this earth, he did what no snap of the finger could do. He understood that what I need and what you need more than a full bank account, and sometimes for most or many of us, he gives us that too. The things that we really need is a new identity, not sinner, but saved and forgiven child of God. What we really need is forgiveness and the peace that comes with that, as opposed to the peace of a retirement account and the hope of heaven. And do you understand? In order to give us these things, Jesus couldn't just sit in heaven, snap his finger, and make it happen. These things required so much more. It required him to come to this earth, to become a human being, and to die. It cost him suffering. It cost him for a time separation from his heavenly father. And ultimately, it cost him for a short bit of time his life. Jesus didn't pick this route because it was easier. He chose it because that's what I need. Treasures in heaven that last forever, and that is what you need most as well. Here's what his good friend and disciple Peter wrote some years after Jesus died and rose. He says that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and get this, guys. You're rich. I'm rich. Into an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade or rust or have a bad transmission. This is kept in heaven for you. If you want to talk about masters to live for, Number four, I know we're not going to get this right every day because I'm a sinner and you are too. But let's declare today the truth that Jesus is the only master that's worthy of our devotion and our attention and is worthy of getting up in the morning, not, not for stuff. I mean, that's a byproduct, but to serve him. You want to talk about happy? When you realize that you have a God who gives you all that you have and has promised to take care of you, who will give you everything you need, and he has, hasn't he? Not necessarily everything we want. 
That's where joy and happiness and peace comes. And when we're there, we are right in the position we need to be to understand now how to best view and use the things he has given to us, not as our masters, but as an opportunity to serve our master. We'll pick it up there next week, but let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for all the things that you have given to us, starting with the treasures of heaven that we will someday enjoy forever. But also, Lord, today, no matter whether we are feeling content when we walked in this morning, or whether we're feeling thankful, or maybe just have a, a lot of like unmet hopes in our hearts, may we leave today with a thankfulness knowing that you have promised to take care of us and that we have everything that we need. You will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to serve you and not just how we live our lives, but also how we manage what you've given. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.